And welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I'm whatever I feel like, gosh. But I'm also John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that were canceled after or during their first and only season. Isn't that right, John? That is right. We are putting on our Uggs and dancing on the graves of these shows, figuring out what they did, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. Today, we are talking about the animated adaptation of Napoleon Dynamite, something that I did not know existed until I was browsing Hulu, but here we are talking about it. Before we get into that, though, let's talk a little bit about what we're watching. Ian, what are you watching? What have you watched? What have you consumed? I swear I've barely watched anything lately, but what I'm really dead set on watching soon is Spirited Away. I saw it once at your house when we were like 13. Oh, okay. I don't even think I saw the whole thing, and I sure as hell didn't understand it. So I just really want to watch it, and I've been talking about this for like two years that I really want to watch it. It's been on HBO Max the entire time, and I want to watch it. And it looks weird, and I think I would enjoy it, and people say it's incredible. I have seen Spirited Away. I don't think I've seen like any of the other Studio Ghibli movies. Ghibli movies. I have seen Howl's Movie Castle, I think, but that's about it. So you have seen one of the other studio movies. There's a lot of fans of the studio. It is like one of the most celebrated mainstream animated collections. I mean, it's it's anime Pixar. That's like what Studio Ghibli is. Oh, really? Oh, we just saw your little doggy run down the stairs. Yeah, she's she did a big little shake. So we might have to cut all that. But uh, No, I think it's fine. People can know that you have a dog and that... She was on the stairs, and that it was uh, just a nice little Easter egg for me. John, what have you been watching? The last animated thing I watched was Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which was beautiful. It was really, really wonderful. So it's a stop-motion adaptation of Pinocchio. Ian, I had not seen the original Pinocchio in I don't know how long. Do you remember much about Pinocchio? I mean, I remember the part where they're all turned into donkeys is like really scary. Everyone I've talked to about it was freaked out by that part. It seems like it's like the traumatic things that really stick out about Pinocchio. And I feel like this is going to do that for a new generation of people because this one like firmly takes place in Mussolini's fascist Italy. Fascism is a big part of this PG rated fantasy movie. Where else would you put it, John, huh? I'd put it in the history books. You'd put it in Victorian England. Don't lie to the audience. You would put it in Victorian England. That's true, because I don't have much interest in Victorian England, so I'd wanted to put it in (laughs) as far of a place as I possibly could. I don't watch Bridgerton. I don't watch Downton Abbey. It is not my bag. It is so hot right now. I don't yuck anyone's yum. Victorian England is so hot right now. (laughs) I don't yuck anyone's yum. When it comes to Victorian England, but it is not my bag. But Pinocchio was wonderful. It was it was really moving. 
the story of uh, fathers and sons and how they deal with fascism. That's not really as big of a part of it, but no, it's really fantastical and beautiful. I think stop motion animation is just extraordinary when it's done well. And it usually is done well because it's done with painstaking detail constantly. Right. I mean, you don't like it as much to put as to put Marvel's Modoc number one, but you do like it and you no, do appreciate you were, it as an But you were form. just like, oh, I like how they moved the camera. No, that is not true at all. That's what you said. Roll the tape. Okay, everybody, go back and listen to it, and you will know that I had more reasons than that. But this new Pinocchio, I'm really glad to see it came out because I know that Guillermo del Toro has been working on it for ever. Oh, my gosh. And throughout the years, I've seen all these different people that have been attached to all these different Pinocchio projects. I know they have the Tom Hanks one coming out. No, it already came out. That's the thing. Exactly. There's so much freaking Pinocchio. We're drowning in Pinocchio right now. There are three Pinocchio adaptations that have come out this year, including this Wait, what's the third? I don't know, but I saw a poster of it and I was like, what the hell is this? And I did not do any sort of follow-up with it. Is Guillermo del Toro's like how Winnie the Pooh uh, fell into public domain so people can make horror movies about Winnie the Pooh now? For some reason, this property has been floating around for like five or six years. Even in the Netflix description of it, it doesn't even say what Pinocchio is about. It just says Guillermo del Toro brings his vision to life after 1,000 days of shooting with 40 animators. Like, that's what it says on Netflix. It doesn't say anything about what you are about to experience. But highly recommend. It's very beautiful. It really makes you look up at your TV and go, wow, it's showtime. Five. Four, three, two, one, showtime! In 2012, Fox shuffled into living rooms and said, America, you fat lard, come get some Napoleon Dynamite. America, watch, watch the show! (laughs) But just like the llama in the movie it's based on, America spit in the face of this animated adaptation as Napoleon Dynamite was canceled after one six-episode season. Ian, we are talking about Napoleon Dynamite, do you remember when the movie came out? It was 2004. It seemed like we were the perfect age for that movie to come out. I will attest to the fact that we were because I think I may have discussed this on an earlier podcast, but I am a hipster Napoleon Dynamite fan. I saw it in theaters when it was released with my cousin Connor in Philadelphia. I thought it was incredible. I think I'd known about it because of uh, when we used to watch trailers on Apple.com all the time. Yeah. And then we saw it in the theater. No one had heard about it. And I went back to school because I must have seen it in like August. And I was like, hey, everyone, there's this great uh, movie coming out. It's called Napoleon Dynamite. Teeny, you fat lard. Oh, tater tots. (laughs) And then I was like, my wife. And then I was like, wait, that's not yet. You're just so ahead of the time. I know. And then it came out on DVD and it just exploded. This was such a huge movie. I think it made $44 million at the box office. And it was a Sundance movie. Wait, it made $44 million at the box office? But it was a limited release. I know. It Well, it expanded. It was one of those things that doesn't happen anymore, which is a movie that started small and then just got word of mouth and blew up like crazy. It was such a huge thing. I remember hearing about it before I saw it because that was like right when I started sort of following 
the movie industry and hearing word come out from Sundance like, yo, there's this movie that is supposed to be the funniest thing anyone has ever seen. So it had all this hype building up until it was released in August of 2004. And yeah, it made $44 million off of a $400,000 budget and became the fixture of every teenage boy's impressions for the rest of their middle school years. I mean... No, no, no. Then Borat came out. (laughs) But Borat was like R-rated and it was... You might have had to wait until high school for that. And that was also a couple years later. But I mean... People had vote for Pedro t-shirts. I was just talking to Elise about it. She had a vote for Pedro notebook. I saw someone recently with a vote for Pedro t-shirt and everyone was hyping it up. They're like, wow, you still have it. This is so great. It still fits. I wish I had mine too. (laughs) Natalie wears some of my shirts that I still have that are from middle school. So it still fits. Woo. You're doing something right. Good on you. Good on you. 2004 Sunday, it's also at Garden State. That'd be an interesting show to adapt in an animated form. But instead, we got Napoleon Dynamite, which came out eight years after the original movie, but was done with most of the original cast and the creators of the movie. The show was co-created by uh, Jared and Jerusha Hess, who co-wrote the movie. Jared Hess directed the movie. Uh, And they developed it along with Mike Scully, who was a Simpsons writer for a long time. He also wrote on Parks and Rec. And then it was kind of interesting. And I guess we can talk about this later when we talk about why the show got canceled. But he also co-created another sort of Fox animated show years later with Amy Poehler called Duncanville, which I really liked. What was crazy to me about researching this show, and by research, I mean Googling, was that so much of the show reminds me of F is for Family from the animation to like a lot of how bonkers and off the wall it can get, as well as like some of the voice cast. And then I started looking things up. I could not find any creative crossover with F is for Family. And I was like, surely this is the same director. I was like, okay, no, maybe the animation department, a producer, casting, something. I found no crossover other than Sam Rockwell and a couple of the other actors. Well, it was sort of at the front of this sort of new wave of network animated, two-dimensional animated shows. Uh, You know, it was a year after Bob's Burgers, which I think kind of really brought in this sort of post-Simpsons, post-Family Guy, like, what does this next style of animation look like? And I think it's really taken off, too, in the last few years with Duncanville's another one. I think of Bless the Hearts is a show that this reminded me a lot of, Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph's show that takes place in sort of a similar rural setting focused on sort of the town and the wackiness of these characters anthropomorphized animals, big, weird town events that seemingly everyone gathers at. That's stuff that's present in Napoleon Dynamite. It's stuff that is present in a lot of these sort of network animated shows that have come up since then as well. Have you watched any of those? Honestly, no. I mean, what's the 
other one created by the Bob's Burgers guy uh, up north or the Great North, I think the Great North. And despite it having Will Forte and Nick Offerman, I have yet to watch much of it. And what I watched, I liked too, but it seems like those shows are like, oh, everything's nice. Look at how nice everything is. And it uh, weirdly turns me off a little bit, even though I like Bob's Burgers a lot. And I like Lauren Bouchard, who created uh, home movies. I watch home movies all the time. And there's only four seasons. I love home movies. And so he... He's got a creative point of view, but I guess I don't really watch a lot of animated stuff that's not adult swimmy anymore. I don't yeah. know. I mean, this is a network show. It is not as risque or gross. It is just more sort of zany, whereas the original movie is much more sort of deadpan. Yeah, this show really uh, dives into Napoleon's like, fantastical imagination yeah but it's not just like his imagination it like realizes what his imagination would be like in a real setting have you ever seen the short that napoleon dynamite is based off of before palooka i have not seen palooka no i just watched it earlier today and it is silly i don't know how it led to a full-length movie at all. Like, I'm a little jealous of how much they could get away with by making that college short and then turn it into a $400,000 movie because, like, it's it's quirky. It's not really that good. I think that John Heater's performance is probably the thing that made them be like, I'd watch a movie with this character. Yeah, and it is so character-driven. And I rewatched the movie after watching the show as well. And I didn't really like Napoleon Dynamite when it first came out. And I think that was because it got so hyped, maybe because one of my best friends was talking about it nonstop after his trip to visit Philly with his cousin. Maybe that was it. But I just remember being like, oh, this is the thing that people are talking about. It's a lot of like, lines and quirky things strung together that are interesting but there aren't many jokes there's weird things happening but there isn't much about it that's like oh ha 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 that was a well-written thing to say i think that a lot of american comedy has gotten to the point where everyone relies on how witty the writing is and stuff like that i think that Napoleon Dynamite's sense of humor is different from a typical American movie, to be honest, where it's like, it's funny because it's strange and yet you know where it's coming from. It's not a fantasy, but it also barely seems like a part of your own life and yet you recognize it to be true. It plods along and then some kind of moment hits and then you're like, what? Like the farmer shooting the cow in front of the school bus. Like when I was a kid, that made me laugh so hard because I don't know, it's farm life. The guy has to put the cow down. He's just not realizing that he shouldn't do this as the school bus is passing by. 
And then like the dance sequence at the end is like the explosion that like justifies him as a person and the movie almost as a movie, you know, it also, it's like, here's this strange outsider that is weirdly intense yet means no harm. And you can see that he can be accepted too, as long as people see a side of him that he is willing to show off that most people would be embarrassed about. And then they take that idea and they put it into this show, which kind of rips away all of the sort of dead eyed blank delivery side of things and just ramps up all of the weirdness and sort of literalizes anything that was sort of half discussed in the movie. But we could get a little bit more into what happens after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Ian, I think we need to dive into the world of Preston, Idaho by talking about some highlights. 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 I think it's imperative we start off by just talking about the Dynamite family. So again, everyone is voiced by the actors that portrayed them in the movie, which is impressive. And I think honestly is a big reason why this was an animated show as opposed to, or at least that's why they sort of started to conceive of it as an animated show, as opposed to something that's live action, because it's eight years later. It's not like John Heater was a 16 year old when they did Napoleon dynamite, but you can't have like 40 year old John Heater playing 16 year old Napoleon dynamite either. But John Heater's the voice of Napoleon Dynamite is, I think, iconic. And I don't say that word lightly. Like it is so burned into, especially like early 2000s pop culture. Oh, and it's incredibly unique. I mean, yeah, everyone can do the impression of it, but I don't see anyone else playing Napoleon Unless, of course, they make the inevitable Broadway musical of it. <laughs> uh, and sure, anyone can just play Beetlejuice. Why not? Um, hey, Alex Brightman is a damn national treasure. And you shut your mouth. They shouldn't be making a musical out of, out of Beetlejuice. Okay, I'm sorry. Even if it's good. And even if he's good. I don't care. Um, but that's more about Ian hates modern musicals than anything else. How would you characterize Napoleon Dynamite, though? outside of the impression or is Napoleon dynamite just the impression? He reminds me of a kid that we grew up with that actually turned out to be like kind of scary and was expelled. Uh, Oh, but it's like, if you took the uh, soft side and the part that wasn't violent, you know, like it's just like the, the kid in school that's weird and obsesses over things. No one else obsesses over 
But like if he was quiet, you know, because he's weirdly aggro. A little. Yeah, he's very aggressive. But he doesn't exude aggressiveness. But he also has this air about him that like he doesn't care. I think that it's a product of being bullied. People have probably given it to him his entire life. And so he's built up this shell. Then he becomes weirdly aggressive. Napoleon lives with his older brother, Kip, who, similarly to Napoleon, I don't think it's as sort of defined of an impression, but everyone's got this like friend that talks like this too. Like, geez. It's a lot quieter and mousier. But I was kind of surprised at the difference between Kip in the movie and Kip in the TV show. I mean, they're both sort of meek and mild-mannered, but the thing that drives Kip in the movie is like bonding with his uncle Rico, who is also a main fixture in the show, this sort of failed high school football star that hangs around the Dynamite household. But Kip is working with like Uncle Rico on the selling the Tupperware bowls. And then he's also obsessed with this woman who he has a online relationship with named LaFonda. Who is notably absent in the show. Yes. And I did read something about how Jared Hess said that it takes place after Pedro gets elected school body president, but before Kip marries LaFonda, which is a mid-credit sequence in the movie, which I think is kind of a cop-out because Kip is very, very much into LaFonda by the end of the Napoleon Dynamite movie, and he is still seeking female companionship in the show. So I think that's just a crock, and they just couldn't get LaFonda to do the TV show. Maybe they just saw a better sandbox for themselves where Kip is still being Kip from the first half of the movie, not Kip in the second half of the movie, which I get, but just like, don't pretend that it's not that way. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Kip in this show very much becomes the younger brother to me. Uh, Whereas in the movie, him and uncle Rico are clearly the older people. And they're the ones that are like, Napoleon, you're younger and you're stupid. But aside from the first episode, Kip really gets relegated to being this small mousy guy that is obsessed with his grandma and they're like a little weird item, him and the grandma. Yeah. And the grandma as a character who is largely absent from the movie is a big big fixture in the TV show. She's still the same sort of like, I'll hunt you down if you cross my family wearing the crew cut kind of thing and just ready to beat people up whoever crosses her oh yeah she's the grandma in it's always sunny i mean or she's max mom and it's always sunny you know right same type of character pretty much in this show she's weirdly less gruff than normal Mm -hmm. like they put it into a personality but her as an actual voice actress doesn't really do that which was uh seemed a little bit outside of the character for me Yeah, I think it's honestly because other than Napoleon and Pedro, a lot of the animated characters, I feel like, are more full of expressions than their counterparts in the movie, almost. A lot of the movie 
the performances are sort of like dead-eyed and deadpan and sort of without much inflection to it. And I mean, you can't really translate that to an animated medium. So they have to sort of ramp up the grandma will, you know, could throw a tractor over a house kind of side of her. The only people to really be somewhat the same are Pedro and Deb. Yeah. Right. For the most part, they both have like they'll have funny lines or whatever, but they have smaller personalities even in some of the episodes, both those characters seemed relegated to being even more minor than I would have thought going into the show. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think Deb has like two bigger episodes, but then for the most part, she's not really that involved. So this show really leans into bigger, goofier, cartoonier scenarios. Scenarios. Yeah. And just they take advantage of the fact that it's a cartoon and they can do whatever they want which doesn't always make it feel like the movie. No, but these sort of wacky scenarios, I think there's really kind of two types of stories that we get in this six episodes. We have the school episodes and we have the town episodes. I don't know if I agree with the school versus town. I do think it's more of a big idea, small idea, because in three episodes out of six, there is like, the Scantron matchmaking episode, which is in school, there is the FFA competition episode. And then there's the episode where Deb is working for the journalism department and Pedro, as president, says something offhand to her that she ends up writing into the paper that becomes this big deal. So we have three episodes that are based a little bit more in the reality of the movie to me, where it's about the character dynamics and uh, them trying to figure out a way to remain friends and support each other and find love and whatever. Whereas the first episode ends in some kind of battle Royale down at the uh, grain silo. The third episode uh, has the tiger fantasies and the sneeferp, which is if you sneeze fart, burp and hiccup at the same time you'll die and then the fifth episode is where there's this big race in town where two people are involved one of them is pushing a bed that the other one is lying on and then do they switch halfway through or maybe they no no they don't right it's like a big deal so literally there's six episodes and half feel more down to earth and the other half feel very fantastical to me see i feel like the bed races thing is almost as down to earth in the world of Preston, Idaho, where this takes place in, than something like the Scantronica episode, where the idea of the Scantron episode is that there's this machine that partners people up romantically. It's basically like a soulmate test. But the teacher, who's voiced by Jermaine Clement, did you see that? Yeah, it's because Jared Hess has done... A movie Gentlemen Broncos. I forgot about that. Right. Yeah. And then same with why Sam Rockwell's in the last episode. Yeah. They did Don Verdeen together. Right. Man, I oh, forgot and about those in re- that as well. I forgot actually. about those relationships. And so the teacher, though, the Jemaine Clement character is like in love with this Scantron, too. So everything is heightened to a big degree. Also, the farmers or the future farmers of america episode where napoleon is at a state competition for 
judging things that are a part of farm life. Like there is a well rescue competition and a soil judging competition and speed milking and stuff like that. There was a really good competition where I think it was called, it's just a set in where basically they're sitting on a porch on a swinging bench, drinking lemonade. And it's like, who can do that better? Yeah. That was really funny. And it was all, it was a relaxometer. They had to, they got measured on how relaxed they were, which of course, because Napoleon Dynamite has Napoleon Dynamite, he is always chill and therefore is able to win that competition very easily. He can sit there all slack-jawed. Exactly. So there, I get that sort of distinction, but even in those sort of more grounded, quote unquote grounded episodes where it's more relationship focused, there's always some sort of thing dialed up to the nth degree. Completely agree. I thought it was really interesting that the first episode was probably the episode that referenced the movie the least. Because that was another big thing I wanted to point out is there's a lot of things from the movie that are sort of pulled and repurposed in sometimes subtle ways, sometimes obvious ways. Like Kip in the post credit sequence in the movie sings the song like, always and forever like that thing and he sings a version of that song to himself as he's like walking into a tub that's a subtle thing but then there's a full-on recreation of napoleon's classic interpretive dance to help pedro win the school board thing and i thought they did a good job at subverting that by having him do it in front of the whole town and everyone boos him off the stage and pedro's like i can't believe that even worked the first time yeah i loved that subversion any other references from the movie that stood out to you? Well, in the first episode, they did have Kip dating online, which leads to them fighting over this girl who thinks that uh, Napoleon is hotter than Kip. Voiced by Amy Poehler, which is another like nuts, weird cameo that came up. Yeah, I mean, hey, $44 million movie off of $400,000, you know, you get a lot of power out of that thing, John. Plus, uh, Mike Scully ended up creating Duncanville with Amy Poehler and wrote on right. Parks and Rec. So they definitely had that relationship as well. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure that was a, a fun favor that was called then. <laughs> uh, but then also there's a lot with like the dojo, the like martial arts, Dietrich Bader aspect of things in the first episode. I kind of wish there was more of him. He kind of dropped off after the first couple episodes. No, they just had him play. Do you mean the character or Dietrich Bader? Because they still had him play other characters in the town. The character itself. I like the Ah. character of Rex. They were very choice with their gosh and their Tina, you fat lards. The show was not built on those funny lines from the movie, but I did think that they threw them in to places really nicely. I agree with that, especially because like I was asking Elise right before I started recording, I was just like, what about Napoleon Dynamite, the movie, like stuck out to you? And she was like, it was something that was just quoted constantly, you know, because everyone could throw on the voice, because everyone could say, gosh, and you'd know exactly what it was referring to. The fact that they didn't lean on that thing that I think honestly makes the movie so memorable gives the show some points in my book for trying to do something different with the 
general world that they had established. Absolutely. Oh, another highlight I wanted to talk about with you was in the pilot, the whole zit storyline. Oof. Did that make you squirm? Yeah. Especially, I mean, okay, so the whole thing is that Napoleon gets acne on his forehead, and so he uses this thing called Rakutane, which essentially burns the skin off of his forehead and in turn makes him very aggressive. And because he is so aggressive, he becomes like a really good athlete and fighter, and he's able to take out all of his sort of unplaced aggression in real ways. But the thing that made it so unsettling for me, and I'm sure it did for you, was just the sizzling noise that any time he placed that Rakutane on his forehead or on it, it's just like, uh, or there's a whole conversation there where they're trying to pop the pimples and it's like noises. Yeah. And it's like, oh, grandma, the they're not ready to pop yet. And she's like, the the roots are too deep. He's like, I told you, you idiot. And it's like 10 minutes worth of pimples that just really made me squirm. Well, I think we've got some other things that we need to get out of our system other than zits with some Dunzo Awards right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the most, it could be the tater tottiest, whatever it may be. We have decided to give these shows their just desserts. Each of us have two Dunzo Awards to give out. Ian, what is your first Dunzo Award? My closest to the movie award goes to the character of Pedro. Yeah. Who was and continues to be just a great sidekick who does not get very emotional in one way or another, except for, I guess in the movie, he does shave his head. But other than that, he doesn't show everything off too much. He just like, he had some fun storylines, but for the most part, he was just in scenes and had great lines that that actor just really delivers well. Yeah. Um, like there's this one episode where the town is being terrorized by ligers because Napoleon stole a baby liger because in a fantasy he was told it would be like the king of ligers or something like that. I think it should be said that, you know, these are like real ligers, like in the show. They're not. It is a lion and tiger that there is a breeding facility outside of town. And he expected them to be the mythical liger with you know magic powers which does not exist so he was a little disappointed by that so he steals the thing and he's trying to help it grow up into being this fantastic beast and uh then all the ligers terrorize the town looking for this one only they don't realize that at the time and pedro just goes when a monster like a chupacabra or satan came to terrorize my town they were usually just looking for something and uh it's funnier when he says it I'm just not going to do the voice. Yeah. No, it's best not to do the voice. And he had another line where uh, the winner of the bed race gets like a tree that is 
sculpted into their likeness or a bush. Mm-hmm. And they have Pedro do it when Uncle Rico and Napoleon went and he goes, I know I'm perpetuating a stereotype, but it would be a sin to deny the world my gift. <laughs> and I don't know. He was just great. He was just great. Pedro does have, I think, the best lines in the show in general. Like, I wrote down a couple of his myself. There's an episode where Deb is interviewing Pedro and she's doing like a day in the life of the class president thing. And she follows him into the shower and she asks him, so you prefer showers over baths? And he just goes, I follow my heart. (laughs) So small. Right. But it was just a lot of little things like that. Exactly. And then he's gone and he's out of the scene and doesn't matter anymore. No, he was the perfect thing to just, I was going to say like insert energy into it, but it's like. But his energy is so low. It's so low that it's impossible to say that exactly. Uh, What's your first Dunzo, John? My first Dunzo award is the Close to Home Award. Uh, And this is geographic. Um, So we alluded to it before, but Pedro says that Preston, Idaho is the most boring town in America, or he makes some comments and that gets taken out of context, put in the school paper. The entire town goes after him because they're very defensive of their town. And one of the townspeople shouts out, Preston is the most boring city in America. He's obviously never been to Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, which is two towns south of me. Wow. Yes. And how boring is it? It's pretty boring, but there's some stuff there. We've got a mall, uh, a pop belly, a crumble cookie just opened up in Whitefish Bay. Or maybe it's technically Glendale. I don't know. Whitefish Bay, it's right on the... Lake Michigan, just north of Milwaukee. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo lives there. So I guess this well, was... Well, then it must be exciting enough for a crumble cookie. <laughs> I guess it's gotten a little bit more hip since this show came out. But I just, I would love to just talk to the writer who came up with that and just why Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin? Well, they must be from there. I yeah. mean, it's got to be that because there are definitely more boring remote towns than a city that is right up against Lake Michigan where you can go swimming all the time. Well, but it's Wisconsin, so you can't really go swimming in Lake Michigan that much. That's true. You really do have to be on the Michigan side. <laughs> <laughs> I I wasn't offended by it because Whitefish Bay sucks. Bayside, that's where it's at. What do you think the most boring city you've ever been to is? Oh, that is a good question. This is controversial. Uh, St. Louis. I do not like St. Louis as a city. No, I I think you're right. I mean, I went to school an hour and a half south of St. Louis. I've been there many times. And the actual downtown area sucks. has so little to do. My God. It's like, I mean, it's kind of like actually the loop in Chicago, there's very few restaurants, very few things to do down there. It's actually kind of weird, but yeah. it's it's the symptom of like, it's a business district. And then all of a sudden there are millions of people and only office buildings. And St. Louis is that, I don't know, it's like five miles of that or something. Yeah. I have two very good friends that uh, got married in St. Louis and I had great times at their weddings, but something about... The city itself, do not care for. What about you? What's uh, what's the most boring city in the U.S.? 
Ooh, yikes. Uh, boy, St. Louis is a really good one. I know. Uh, I'm really good at things, but you threw the question at me. You, you should be prepared to take the heat. Natalie will talk up their aquarium to you if you ever bring it up. I stayed in the same building as their aquarium, and I walked past it. Had no interest in walking inside. Well, I'm willing to bet you didn't sit in on the 10-minute introduction to the aquarium narrated by John Goodman. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, there are. I would just put like there are small nothing towns that are more boring than St. Louis. I'll just give a, a shout out to my friends from Perryville, Missouri. There is nothing to do there except go to my friend's flower shop. Lillian Petunia. We'll check it out next time we go through Missouri. Ian, what is your second Dunzo award? Oh, you know what? And as a state, there is nothing to do in Arkansas. Uh, okay. My second Dunzo award is the Taking Care of Pizza Award, which goes to the scene where Kip takes a date to the Chuck E. Cheese type place <laughs> to see a concert. And really the concert is the Chuck E. Cheese type band playing the animatronic band playing a song Mm -hmm. and they're just singing taking care of pizza instead of taking care of business and then they like the song so much that she gives him a cd to burn the music from the animatronic band onto and they're all pizza related puns it's called misty's pizza mix is what the cd is called and uh, that part just really had me in stitches. I don't know why. It was just so so ridiculous, but did seem weirdly right on to me. That part wasn't as funny to me as the reveal later in the episode. I think it's in the credit scene where uh, they're back at the Chuck E. Cheese-like place and Napoleon says something to the effect of, you know, they're just animatronics, right? And the animatronics like get up and walk off the stage. They're like, see you next time, Kip. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that I don't know. That was like a part of the show that it seemed like a solid translation from the movie of something that's very lame, but then heightened it in a way that was fun for the cartoon. I don't know. It was just fun. John, what's your second Dunzo? My second Dunzo is the Curious Sandwich Award, and that goes to the Rico. So Rico in one of the episodes gets a sandwich named after him. It's called the Rico. It's crawfish, peanuts, and strawberries. These are all things that Rico is allergic to, but you know what? It seemed like an interesting combination, so I'd genuinely be curious to give that sandwich a bite. Wait, you actually want to take a bite of that? I don't think I would like it, but that combination of flavors, I'd be curious to see what it tasted like. Ew. (laughs) Ew, John. I know. Ew. I'm mostly using this as a reason to talk about Rico as a character. So Rico in the movie is such a freaking creep, the entire thing. And he is essentially the villain of the movie, right? I could definitely see that. Yeah, he's he's an antagonist to Napoleon's motives. Yes, he hits on every woman that he could find including telling Deb that she should get like breast implants, right? Yes. Well, he's trying to sell breast implants. So, and I think his character from the show is as far removed from 
his character in the movie as any of the characters because he's a lot like sadder in the show. I feel like they they lean a lot into this is a guy who isn't a good person and he still isn't, but he's this person who had these dreams. He's stuck in this town. He They lean a lot into his van life and how just kind of sad his van life is too. I don't know. What do you think of Rico as a character? Um, Yeah, I think you're right. I think he is probably better in the cartoon or at least uh, I don't know if the movie version of Rico translates to episodic television as well as them being like, you know what? Like the breast implant thing was just a hustle he had at the time. He's trying to make money and he's lonely. So this is like a thing he's doing. But the core of Uncle Rico is lonely and sad and wishes his life was the way it used to be. If only he didn't screw up that football game so bad. Mm-hmm. And that he just isn't a very confident person. No. And why would he be so mad at Napoleon and maybe even Kip if maybe he didn't see a little bit of their trajectory as his own, which yeah. is a sad one. But it made for good good comedy, I think, for him, for the show. Um, yeah. It was a nice... I'm glad that they didn't lean into the sort of creepier side of Rico that the movie does. It would have made it a significantly less pleasant experience for me. I think it's something that you can make a quick joke about in a movie, but the if they had stuck with that, it would have made it harder for me to get on board with. John, I've got a burning question for you. I can already feel the heat. Lay it on me. Did they do some of the smaller actors from the movie dirty by not including them into this show? <laughs> It's hot. And I'm talking specifically uh, Don, Felipe, who I believe is Pedro's cousin who's in the car, and Starla, who is Rex's muscular wife. All of them were voiced by Jared Hess instead of the actors or actresses who played them in the movie. And then I was also going to include LaFonda in that list. Um. It just seemed like a strange thing to me to have Jared Hess do those voices. I'm sure they saved a little bit of money, but it kind of took the magic away from those little characters to me. I don't know. It made it, you know, like what makes the movie great is it really does feel like a slice of small town reality with some strange but well-meaning people that live in them and also everyone's about 10 years behind when it comes to fashion and the way that their houses look and probably everything else. I completely agree that when they put all of those characters sort of voiced by the same guy, throw them into the background, it just kind of blends together. Whereas I think Don was very distinctive. Rex's wife was very distinctive. LaFonda having just rewatched the movie is such a breath of fresh air for that movie. It is so she her presence and her entrance lifts the movie up in a big way. I think I don't think the movie is about LaFonda, but I think the energy that that character brings to the movie really helps the movie overall. 
Also, she doesn't have a ton of lines in the movie, and I think she does so much with the small character. Yeah. And also, like, from a story perspective, it gives Kip a lot more to go off of than just going along with what Rico's doing. And It you gives know, the it, character a win, which is so, I think, emblematic of the movie itself. Like, the movie is based on characters that even like the higher status characters kind of suck and they aren't winning at life. And the fact that Kip actually has somebody that's decent, that's not taking advantage of him, that likes him, gives the movie a sweetness that it doesn't have otherwise. So when you take away that and you sort of make all these other characters blend a little bit more into the background. It just doesn't make it as, it doesn't give the show the breath that I think it needs in order to really resonate over a longer period of time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Ian, I've got a burning question for you. Well, I've got a big bucket of water. Uh, There's still an ember going here and there. Do you think the Ligers should have been more fantastical or were you happy with the choice that they were docile? That's hot. No, I think I was happy with the choice that they were docile. Um, Although there's nothing in the show, in the rules of the show, that would have made them not be completely magical. But you take into the fact that he is obsessed with farming and he knows everything about that stuff and animals, you know, Tina, cows, sheep, whatever, then it makes sense that the Ligers would just be real Ligers. Mm -hmm. And for him to think it'd be anything other than real Ligers is actually a little ridiculous considering what we know about the characters. Yeah, and you would think that he would have some sort of sense about what position they played as opposed to it being like a surprise for him as a character. All right, I got an idea here. All right, so Jared Hess, give me a call. We'll rewrite the episode together. But they are docile laggers. He knows that they're not really magical, but he keeps catching them doing little things or like out of the corner of their eye that maybe they are magical, but then he turns and they just look normal. Yeah. And then we uh, play with that for 10 minutes. I think that could have been, yeah, that could have been more fun because that was the thing that kind of frustrated me about that episode is Liger is such a big thing that comes out of the movie. And the fact that we were going to actually get to see Ligers was fun But I wrote the fewest amount of notes for that episode than I did any other things because it just didn't feel like much happened and they didn't really do much with it. I felt that about um, the way that they solved the problem with Pedro's story being all over the newspaper with them going to the mine shaft and finding the Oh, to find the mine shaft monster. Yeah. Right. I think... Both of the second halves of those episodes I checked out a bit for. for. But it definitely was um, something that they do in the show that I noticed, like the bed racing episode. The first half of the episode is the bed racing. The second half of the episode is Uncle Rico 
finding his glory that he's always wanted and, you know, Napoleon dealing with this big lie that they have together. Mm -hmm. But it was this thing that they kind of did where they'd have this big premise and they'd play it out in the first half. Then they'd have the characters like have something to deal with in the second half of the episode. And then the more fantastical thing comes back to finish the episode out. And I always found myself more attracted to that bit that was just more character driven than the fantastical stuff. Because I think that's the thing that made the movie special. And I think they felt a need to heighten it because of the format. Because but it's they a cartoon. Didn't, mm-hmm. Exactly. They didn't have the tools, though, I think, to bring you back to what made this appealing at its core. And that was a sort of frustrating thing throughout the show. Well, it sounds like we are getting into a heavier discussion about the show's actual context and what we think about it. So let's take a quick commercial break and talk about why it got canceled. And now a word from our sponsors. Ian, do you know what time slot Napoleon Dynamite had when it aired? Well, my brain says Sundays at 8.30 because that's their cartoon block, but my gut says Fridays at 7.30 because that's an awful time to put it. Your gut was exactly right no on the first way, time. Really? 8.30, oh, 8.30 on Sundays. It was part of Animation Domination on Fox Sunday. Was it during the summer or something weird, though? No, it was January to March. It was those six weeks. Yeah, It was a mid-season replacement while they probably dealt with some other show's issue or something. Alan Gregory. (laughs) Yeah, which is another one-and-done show that we need to do. It's on our list. It is on our list. Uh, The Jonah Hill Smart Kid show. I don't know. We haven't watched it yet. But Alan Gregory was the fall premiere show that got canceled napoleon dynamite filled its slot after that on sunday uh so it napoleon dynamite was sandwiched between the simpsons and family guy so it really i think had a big thing to kind of bolster it on either end yeah but fox has dealt with that issue for years of they had the simpsons and they had family guy and they couldn't quite make anything else work they tried american dad that was good for a while they tried the cleveland show that limped along and then they just kept throwing stuff in there until bob's burgers came along yeah although this was after bob's burgers a year after bob's burgers right yeah so and then bob's burgers ended up refilling that spot after napoleon dynamite got canceled so napoleon dynamite actually started off pretty strong it's Premiere episode had a 4.6 rating in the 18 to 49 demographic, an important demographic, as we all know. Nine and a half million total viewers, pretty strong, even for 2012 standards. Oh, definitely. However, Uh we saw a precipitous drop. Second episode dropped 25% of that viewership. Next two weeks fell 36%, and then another 14% after that. So by the time we were done with the six episodes, we had just under 4 million viewers. So they were able to air all six episodes that they did make 
it was sort of an experimental, we'll see how this goes kind of thing. But in May of 2012, two months after the last episode aired, the show was canceled. My theory on this is that when people saw Napoleon Dynamite coming back as an animated show, there was a curiosity about it, which led to its sort of strong opening. I see this sort of animation style as very kinetic, very hyper, very sort of premise focused, whereas Napoleon Dynamite, the original movie, character focused, tonally dry, droll, that sort of thing. So when they just saw sort of another kinetic version of this droll thing, there wasn't really much adaptation of the original material. It was just kind of another in a line of animated things. Yeah, I agree with that because my personal journey as a viewer with the show was the discovery that the subject matter was not what the movie was. It was like, okay, they they mostly kept the characters as what they were. And then they decided to make the town this wacky sandbox, right? And they yeah. can do whatever they want with it as long as the characters pretty much remain intact. And I think that that is a different audience from the people that enjoy Napoleon Dynamite. I actually had my biggest thought about the show in general was they should have followed a King of the Hill template, Mm. which is what I love about King of the Hill. And then we talked about Lauren Bouchard as well, like home movies, which I don't think you've ever seen. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. Well, they're both slower cartoons that kind of play with the fact that they like the characters are lame. Like, yes, it's not exciting. And we're just sitting around drinking beer, talking about nothing important until something happens. And then everyone gets fixated on it. And that is a very different sense of humor and more in line with the movie than what the show became. Mm-hmm. I like crazy cartoons yeah and i like napoleon dynamite i can see why people would have problems with them trying to marry those two things so what about you then looking outside of just the quote-unquote people would you renew for those reasons i'm out i wouldn't renew this isn't shark tank you you... well i know that but i was playing around with it No, I mean, that that's pretty much it. Like, I thought it was funny, but I'd space out a lot. And as soon as it would get closer to the movie, it would get farther away again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, just write something else then. Don't, don't ruin this thing that I love. Give some of these voice actors more work in other shows where they clearly do this type of thing well. But don't. Don't mess with Napoleon Dynamite for me. I don't know. It just it, it wasn't what I wanted. I I wanted something more in the line of of King of the Hill or something. I think what they did is more in line with something anyone else could do with a cartoon. I don't think it's what makes them special. And I think I actually resented them a little bit for it. <laughs> Even though I didn't hate watching the show, there was plenty for me to laugh at. It's not what I want and I I wouldn't keep watching it um 
What about you, John? Would you renew? I would not renew. And I agree with pretty much everything you just said. There is Have an original thought, John. Okay. God. That's original. <laughs> Thank you. I was just trying to regain some of my mojo. It wasn't special. And it there is a critic's consensus on the show on Rotten Tomatoes, which holds a 32% tomato meter. I thought it that says, was harsh, though. It is. But I do agree with this statement in the critic's consensus. Napoleon Dynamite doesn't understand what made the movie popular in the first place. I think that the animated version of Napoleon Dynamite is essentially Beavis and Butthead. And I think if they had taken a little bit more of a tone like that does, then it could have worked. I'm not saying that it needed to be a Beavis and Butthead carbon copy, but I think that there is, again, not to belabor the term, but a drollness to it that works for that sort of internal high school character that's also kind of aggro. It just makes it make a little bit more sense. And what this show was trying to do was something that the movie wasn't and what the characters weren't. And I think that's the biggest miss is that they didn't fully understand the characters. And so therefore it just made it more unappealing because these characters aren't that appealing on the surface, but sometimes their lack of appeal makes them more endearing. But when you, Lovable losers. Exactly. But when you take away that sort of grit for them, it doesn't make it as endearing. It just makes it wacky. And these characters don't work as wacky. I think there are other characters that work as wacky, but just not this. I agree with everything you said except for one important thing, and that is you cannot belabor the term drollness because we haven't used it up until now. So you're good. I've said I don't think so. I have. I don't think so. Maybe when I edit this, I'll put me saying droll a couple more times. Right here. This is John in the edit bay. Now, listener, you just heard this, but I need to rub it in Ian's face a little bit. So let's flash back five minutes. Whereas Napoleon Dynamite, the original movie, character focused, tonally dry, droll, that sort of thing. I'm glad I proved you wrong. I kind of assumed we'd be on the same page about it, but part of me thought maybe you would hate it way, way, way more than I do. No, I did hate parts of it, um, yes, but then there were a couple moments that sort of brought me back. After episode two, I was ready to cancel. Then they had some more down-to-earth stuff that I was like, you know what? I was a little hard on it. When they hit it, it it's going well. And then they get episodes five and six, and I'm like, oh no, this show is so canceled to me. Yeah, I... Dude, I had the exact same journey. The Pedro versus Deb episode, I laughed out loud multiple times. There were that so was the many best episode. Cuz there were jokes and there were like good jokes and they took themselves a little bit less seriously and again they focused on the characters and not as much about and even that still had that stupid mind shaft monster thing. But even that storyline resolved in some sort of understanding of who the characters are to each other. Yes, and I think that's why I put the Scantron episode with that one in my original um, explanation of the show is because, yeah, the Scantron thing was a little fanciful, but the way that it made all the characters interact with each other and 
talk about each other and form alliances and break them and fall in love and fall out of love, like in a very high school way, felt more akin to the movie than uh, the rest of them. My journey was pilot canceled. Second episode, okay, I get this. Third episode, Liger. No, 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 no. Fourth episode, Pedro vs. Deb. Okay, I'm in again. Fifth episode, sixth episode, I was pretty much out. I think I had the exact same journey as you. And again, it doesn't need to be exactly the movie. It just, no. there wasn't, there just wasn't anything about it to make it worth the time and the it effort. It was not a spiritual successor. But this is like an interesting sort of thing because, again, it was eight years after this thing that felt so sort of zeitgeisty in 2004. Like summer mm-hmm. to fall of 2004 was Napoleon Dynamite. That was so big at that time. And then I think people kind of forgot about it. And then it comes back in 2012. It was weird timing. Yeah, it's like kind of an indie version of Avatar almost. Like it was this huge thing for a small period of time. And then people kind of forgot about it. And then it comes back. But I mean, Avatar 2 became a big hit. Napoleon Dynamite, the TV series, did not. But I am curious, if you were to pick another movie from that sort of time period, like late 90s, early 2000s, that you would put into like a TV show format, maybe it's like the characters, maybe it's the tone, what would you do? I guess I'm kind of double dipping my burning questions here. Yeah, tonally, it would have to be Little Miss Sunshine. Mm. Because the way the characters interact, and I think maybe it's a little bit sadder than uh, most cartoons on Fox are, but I would be totally down for that. Um, It's just a goofy enough family, and there's there's all this hardship involved in that show that leads to not just good drama, but good connectivity, and also it's really funny along the way. I think something like that could be a really unique cartoon. Granted, I do not know what they would be doing. It'd be like uh, Greg Kinnear's keeps trying to get his business off the ground or a new business off the ground, you know, and um, the little girl is always finding a new thing to be interested in. And we have fun with uh, Paul Dano having his different phases of discipline, you know, like, this episode he's not talking and the other episode he's i don't know doing crunches five times a day something funnier <laughs> than that but you, you get what I, you get what I don't I'm know i think here. you hit comic gold with crunches five times yeah. a day and we're going to be in that sweet spot of the movie where it's just before alan arkin dies <laughs> but still after she's won the little miss sunshine pageant <laughs> way to take the jared hess logic approach thank you what about you i think pleasantville would be a really interesting thing to adapt. Wow. Don't tell my wife that because she will marry you. She loves that movie. Matt, I think this is our time. Oh, no. No, no. Oh, God. Sorry. I got caught up in the moment. She's much more into Tobey Maguire and uh, Jeff Daniels than you. I think Pleasantville, you know, the idea of adapting like a 1950s animated show, I think would be really cool. You know, as opposed to that sort of leave it to beaver thing. Like, what if it was like the Flintstones or like the Hanna-Barbera era of modern but people? Pleasantville? I'm not saying like an exact adaptation of Pleasantville. I'm just saying the idea of Pleasantville is these 90s kids being transported into a 50s world. What if you had like 2000s kids being transported into a 1950s cartoon? 
Like or, that could be like a cool thing. What if you had two podcasters and they were transferred into the Flintstones and we have to record into a bird that then uh, goes around and then it tells a bunch of other parrots and the parrots fly to everybody's windows and then that's how the people receive the podcasts. And then they do crunches five times a day? Something like that. (laughs) Any lingering thoughts for you before we leave uh, Idaho? I'm wondering if John Heater actually learned Japanese in order to say those lines or if he already knew Japanese and they decided to use that in one episode because it's it sounded legit to me. Granted, I don't know Japanese. So this is in reference to John Heater in the Scantron matchmaker episode gets paired with an exchange student named Tokiko and he's able to speak Japanese to her. And I did look this up. Yes, John Heater does speak Japanese. Wow. And so that's why they wrote that in there. I can't believe you had an answer to that. I do. I'm very okay, proud of myself. Okay, here's another one. How tall is John Heater? 6'2". Maybe. Did you really look know. that up? Okay. I know I didn't. <laughs> but you I sounded me. confident, and that's the important part. I want to shout out really quick the quick joke of the Morse Code Club. Great joke. Great joke. A quick little thing where they're passing by the Morse Code Club, walking through the hall, two kids, one types out something in Morse code, and the other just laughs and goes, too soon. (laughs) I think if there were more jokes like that, it would have elevated the show. There were plenty of jokes that were just like thrown in for no reason. Like there was when they're when they're pushing the bed. Uh, they're practicing pushing the bed for the race and then this moving van goes in front of them and then like the furniture falls out of the back of the van and then Napoleon like makes fun of the furniture and the family driving the van's like, that's all we can afford. Oh, that was a great line. Yeah. They had I, a lot of little things to just keep throwing at it, which again, I was like, some of them were hit and some of them missed. But for the most part, I just went, this is not Napoleon Dynamite. No. Ian, where can people find us? Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. You can email us any suggestions for episodes that we should do, meaning TV shows that we should cover in the future. Please email us them. Don't DM them. I cannot keep track of all the suggestions. We're just drowning, drowning, drowning. And John is making this very difficult for me to concentrate because he is making all manner of non-PG miming uh, activity at me through Zoom. That's right. We record through Zoom. Zoom Zoom.com. Why don't you add, uh, you know, throw us some money because we used you to record. Uh, What am I saying? All right. So email us and then uh, Venmo me at Hamilton. And um, write furious emails to Warner and Discovery uh, to bring back Joe Para. Obviously, unceremoniously canceled after three seasons. And buy yourself a lodge pan scraper because it will make your kitchen experience better. We'll be back next week talking about that 80s show. Just in time for that 90s show to come out. So buckle up. Look at us being timely. We're so nostalgic. 
and timely at the same time. I time. love it. It's like we finish each other's sandwiches. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media. 